Lord has laid, honestly, a number of things on my heart this morning, and, and I've just been praying, you know, when you're in a situation like this, at least the way I feel, it makes me feel inadequate, you know, and, and I'm just saying, God, in my inadequacies, I know you are adequate. You speak your truth and deposit that, because I believe that, church, we are in a battle and as we have been going through this sermon series, we understand we are in a battle for peace. That's what we've been talking about, the battle for peace. And, and this sermon is going to be no different. We're in this battle. We're in it together. Our goal is to honor Christ no matter what comes our way, to stay the course, not get distracted. But there is a battle, and many times that battle is in our very soul, and that's where we're going to find the battle today. You know, a story is told about a, a member of a congregation. He approaches the pastor and he says, Pastor, I don't understand it. Uh, we, the, the, this past year, the church purchased five brooms. I don't get it. What is up with that? It just seems like such a waste of money. And so the pastor goes to the treasurer and he explains the, the, the concern of this person in the congregation. And, and the church, the, the treasurer responds, no wonder he was upset. How would you feel if you saw everything you gave in tithes in the past year tied up in five brooms? Should I have gone there? You know, it's so easy to complain, isn't it? It's so easy to grumble. It's so easy to criticize. Now, my question uh, is not so much in our criticism, but really, what do you do? How do you respond when you are criticized? What do you do when people have gossiped and slandered you, have falsely accused you, but of course not to your face, but behind your back? How do you deal with that? And there's going to be a battle that goes on in your soul, and your purpose is peace, but how do you get from here to there? And many times, honestly, church, we fail in this area, and I believe God wants us to be experts even in this area. Not, of course, the giving of the, the complaints and the criticisms, but how do you receive that? How do you handle it? How do you deal with criticism? Let me read a little cute story here for you. About a salesman who was getting a haircut, and he mentioned that he was going on a trip to Rome, Italy. Rome is a terribly overrated city, commented his barber, who was born in northern Italy. What airline are you taking? The salesman told him the name of the airline, and the barber responded, oh, what a terrible airline. The seats are cramped, their food is bad, and the planes, they're always late. What hotel are you staying at? The salesman named the hotel, and the barber exclaimed, why would you stay there? The hotel is in the wrong part of town and has absolutely horrible service. You'd be better off just staying home. But I expect to close a big deal while I'm there, the salesman replied. And afterward, I hope to see the Pope. You'll be disappointed trying to do business in Italy, said the barber, and don't count on seeing the Pope. He only grants audiences to the very important people. Three weeks later, the salesman returned to the barber shop. <clears throat> and how was your trip? Asked the barber. Wonderful, replied the salesman. The flight was perfect. The service at the hotel was excellent. And I made a big sale. And the salesman paused for effect. I got to meet the Pope. You got to meet the Pope? Finally, the barber was impressed. Tell me what happened. Well, when I approached him, I bent down and kissed his ring. No kidding. What did he say? He looked down at my head and said, my son, where did you get such a lousy haircut? 
Oh my, how do you deal with criticism? I'm not recommending this way of dealing with criticism, but how do you deal with criticism? It's easy to want to, you know, to play this one-upmanship to, you know, you give a zinger to me and, and I'm going to give one twice as bad to you. Obviously, that is not what Scripture says, but it is so easy to do that, is it not, church? How do you deal with criticism? I mean, my goodness, Moses had to deal with constant, incessant criticism from those he led through the desert. You know, I wonder if he had to do it all over again, would he have made a note to self? Next time, don't tell Pharaoh to let all his people go. (laughs) Oh my, I want to read something to you that I came across this past week. Actually, this sermon uh, is a sermon I wanted to preach back in January, and for some reason the Lord just had me wait, wait, wait. And just in this series of the battle for peace, and, and I came across this article, and the Lord just said, today I want you to share this word. So that's what I'm going to do. Francis Frangipane, Frangipane is a fairly well-known pastor. Um, he's not a pastor anymore. He's a little bit more itinerant in his ministry uh, he has endured a tremendous amount of criticism. And as I read this to you, I want you to understand he is coming from a pastor's perspective. And I realize that we are not pastors. Uh, many times it's hard to understand what pastors go through or their families. And so what I, will, what I would like you to do is I want you to imagine yourself just on the, not the other end of this, but on the other end in which you receive criticism. I want you to step into his shoes, not as a pastor, but as just someone, maybe someone in, you know, in your extended family who just tends to criticize or at work, the office gossip that you have to endure, maybe in the neighborhood. Where do you encounter this incessant complaints or accusations you know aren't true? And how do you deal with this? And Francis Frangipane has, I believe, some very good insights I just want to read some of this to you. He's talking about how if anyone wants to make an impact on this world, you will have a bullseye on your back that you cannot get rid of. And then the question is, so what do you do about it? So this isn't just for pastors. I want you to understand this is for you. This is for us. You cannot do the will of God without causing changes, and changes will always cause some to stumble. In fact, Jesus said we were to beware when all men speak well of us. He said we cannot serve two masters. If we try to please him, we cannot be distracted by trying to please everyone else. How do you handle criticism? How does one project himself, protect himself from the scourge of the tongue? phrase from Job 5.21. If you're going to be successful in the Lord's work, you must find God's hiding place from one of the most painful weapons in Satan's arsenal, the critical tongue. In fact, the fact is, for better or for worse, people are going to talk about you. You cannot do the will of God without causing changes, and changes will always cause some to stumble. In fact, Jesus said, we are to beware when all men speak well of us. He said, we cannot serve two masters. At the same time, there is a demonic strategy that is set against those who teach God's word and minister to his people. And here I want you to understand, church, you minister God's truth and his word. 
Maybe not in the office or, or place that he does or myself, but you minister the word of God. So please continue to listen. The enemy's campaign is not only aimed at destroying the shepherd, he also seeks to scatter the sheep. If Satan's attack is successful, everyone involved will come out of the battle with less love and a hardened heart. Skipping down. God has provided honorable ways for people to transfer from one church to another. He's using this as an example. If someone wants to leave a church to start their own, there is a proper there are proper ways to receive God's anointing and be sent. It's not necessary to find fault and cause a church split. I think all of us are aware of a church split that has been birthed out of conflict. When things are done correctly and in order, people are edified. But when relationships are severed and destroyed through malicious gossip, or when a developing trust is turned into mistrust through backbiting and criticism, God himself is angered. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. And if God is offended, how much more difficult is it for his servants to remain aloof from the conflict that sin causes? So what's the answer? So how does a man or a woman of God find the balance between his basic need to survive and his responsibility to please God? The answer is to put on Christ's love. A number of years ago, I went through a difficult time during which a handful of people made me the target of ongoing criticism. There is a type of construction, constructive criticism coming through people who love you that teaches and helps you to prosper. And there is a different type of criticism that comes through an embittered spirit that is not meant to correct you, but to destroy you. It was the latter relationship that I had with these people. To be honest, I am sure that there were areas in my life that were out of balance. Some of their complaints were justified. Much of what they had to say, however, was said to others behind my back. Our congregation was being destabilized by these individuals. Try as I did, nothing I could say or repent of would silence them. For three years, I sought the Lord. Three years, I sought the Lord. Yet, he would not vindicate me of their accusations. Instead, he dealt with me. He reached down into the very substructure of my soul and began to touch hidden areas of my life. At issue with the Lord was not my sin, but my self. The Bible says our sins are ever before us. These I could see, but I had no perspective on my soul. Now follow here. The Lord allowed this criticism to continue until it unearthed something deeper and more fundamentally wrong than any of my doctrinal interpretations or sins. It unearthed me. The Holy Spirit began to show me how easily I was manipulated by people's criticisms and especially how much my sense of peace was governed by the acceptance or rejection of man. As much as I prayed, God would not deliver me from my enemies. He saved me by killing that part of me that was vulnerable to the devil, and he did it with the accusations themselves. I will never forget the day it dawned on me that both God and the devil wanted me to die, but for different reasons. Satan wanted to destroy me 
through slander and then drain me with the unceasing activity of explaining my side to people. At the same time, God wanted to crucify that part of my soul that was so easily exploited by the devil in the first place. It was a pivotal day when I realized that this battle was not going to be over until I died to what people said about me. It was probably at this point that I finally and truly became a servant of God. Today I stand in awe of what the Lord did during those terrible yet wonderful months, years. He knew a time would come when the things I wrote would touch the lives of millions of people. To inoculate me from the praise of man, he baptized me in the criticism of man until I died to the control of man. Can I ask you again, how do you handle criticism? What do you do? Can you even avoid it? Uh, I was impressed by a little quote from Aristotle. I think he hits the nail on the head. He actually said this, criticism is something you can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. I think we have three choices before us. We can either take the easy road or fight on the road or take the hard road. I do not recommend either of the first two. I am going to call you church today to the hard road. I'm not going to tell you put your life in neutral and just forget about it. Wherever you go in trying to reach people with Jesus, you will always offend some. Always. Some of it will be your fault. Let God strip you in those times. Some of it will not. And that's what I want to focus on today. Because what we will tend to do then is take the second road and we want to fight on the road. And that dishonors Christ. It brings disunity to his body then the question is, what is the hard road? What is the hard road that he calls you to? It is the road that Christ took. It is the road that Paul took. It is the road that we see laid out in many, many verses, scriptural principles in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at a few of those. But the hard road is just that. It's hard. You know, criticism isn't all bad. There's, I've heard it said that constructive criticism is when I criticize you, and destructive criticism, of course, is when you criticize me. Proverbs 15.31 says, He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. And let's face it, even when criticism is given with anger and hurt, and you certainly don't want to listen to it, many times there is this kernel of truth in it. Now, because I've already preached on a sermon several months ago about mining the gold, even from those types of criticism, they can come from your boss, they can come from your spouse, they can come from people outside your home or in your home, in your workplace or outside your workplace, they can come from anywhere, but we need to mine for gold. Since I've already preached on that, that's not going to be my focus today. We need to understand, however, that we're mining for gold. We need to sift what people say. We need to weigh it and then toss out the waste. 
Keep the nugget of truth. But what if the criticism carries no truth? What if the criticism continues on? Even after you've waited, what do you do with gossip and false accusations from people that seek to tear you down? What if you lovingly attempt to deal with a gossiper according to Matthew 18, 15, which says if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show him his or her fault just between the two of you. But they don't agree with you. Maybe they say, well, friends share everything. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that many times. But friends share everything. Well, here's my question. Is there not such a thing called gossip? Well, of course there is. So what do you do with gossip? Do you just share it with your enemies? Hello? No. Who do you share it with? Yeah, you share it with your friends. So you don't share everything with your friends. Can I just say this? The world doesn't get that. Many in the body of Christ still don't get that. Maturity, and what I'm calling us to, church, maturity gets it. Maturity gets it. But there's something in us that wants to stray from that principle. We're hurt, and we want to run to someone, and we want to share everything with them about what this person did to us. But what does Matthew 18, 15 say? That if someone offends you, immediately go tell someone else, right? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Go to them and keep it between the two of you. This is such a hard principle for the body of Christ to get. Francis Frangipane had to deal with it. And the gossip can come back and you don't want to hear it. And yet through little ways here and there, it's as if you cannot stop it. And it comes back to you. And you hear it and you're hurt or about your child and, and they're hurting. You're hurt with them. What do you do? What do you do? If you find yourself in this situation, may I say to you, you are not alone. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Paul wrestled with this, just as you and I do. Paul wrestled with this. He wrestled with it in the scripture we're going to read from men of God proclaiming Christ. Get a load of that. I would say that Paul was a pretty upstanding guy. I think he followed Jesus passionately, but not everybody in his day believed that. Not everybody in the church believed that, or at least who said they were in the church believed that. It says here in first, excuse me, it says here in Philippians chapter one, starting with verse 15, he says this, he's, he's been proclaiming Christ and the gospel has been spreading throughout the palace guard and to everyone else. And he says this, verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here, he's in prison, I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former. It's as if he wants to pause there. Mm, the former. Preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely. Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now listen to Paul's response. Verse 18, but what does it matter? 
The important thing is that, whether, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Wow, Paul. Men of God, or at least proclaiming to be men of God. And, and he is not saying that they are not men of God. He says, they're proclaiming Jesus, and I'm rejoicing about this. But because of something wrong in their hearts, they wanted to put Paul down. Maybe they felt that Paul had stood on a stage. We talked about stages and platforms last week. Paul standing on his stage, and I need to knock him off that stage. God had built Paul a platform. Stages we build for ourselves. Platforms God builds for the glory of Christ. David was raised up from the sheep pen to the kingship. God built that platform for him. Daniel was one of the refugees, captives in Babylon, and God raised him up to be second in command. Eventually, second in command under Darius, Daniel 6 in the Persian Empire. God builds our platforms. And the purpose of that platform is to declare Christ. But you know what? There are people who will not like it. People will not like your success. People will not like what you're doing. As you proclaim Christ, the world will attack. And P Peter says, don't think it's strange that you enter such fiery trials. All of the brothers throughout the world do that. The problem is when it comes from within the body of Christ. That's where it becomes even more painful. And that is what happens here. Even within the body of Christ, people wanted to attack Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ. These were not apostles. They refused to recognize Paul's apostleship. They wanted to make him look bad, even within Philippi. They wanted to destroy his ministry. How did Paul respond? Did he want to attack them? Well, I shouldn't say did he want to. Maybe he wanted to, but he didn't. He didn't attack them. He just said, this is, what's, this is what's going on. I am not going to answer their accusations. Nowhere in Scripture does Paul, one by one by one, answer accusations. It was a waste of his time. When truth was at stake, he always defended truth. He always defended, I've been called to be an apostle. I am to the Corinthians, where so much of this criticism was levied against him. He regularly defended the truth that he was called as an apostle and as a father in the faith. And he said, you have 10,000 guardians, but not many fathers. And he says, I'm a father in the faith to you. Please listen to me. And he says later in 2 Corinthians, probably written about six months after 1 Corinthians to them, in chapter 11, he says, people have come in among you and they have deceived you and you have followed them, and they have led you astray from your pure and sincere devotion to Christ. I wanted to offer you as a pure virgin to Christ, but you believe in any Jesus that's preached to you, any gospel that's proclaimed in your midst, and you follow, you're seeking to follow a different spirit, and he challenges them. He doesn't take all of this time. You know what? Let me just answer these false accusations. He doesn't do that. He doesn't waste his time with them. Now, I'm not saying there will never be a time in which you seek to set the record straight. I am just suggesting don't waste your time with them. Because when you step 
Remember, there's the easy road, you just give up. Or there's that place on the road where you fight and it's right there that's critical because once they start criticizing and you engage, watch out. If you keep biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed, Galatians 5.15. You have stepped on a battlefield. You are seeking to silence your critics and they will answer you every time. And it will be a volley, a verbal volley back and forth and you will always be seeking to defend yourself. And I'm saying, don't do that. Don't engage. I'm not saying don't ever defend the truth. Step in, set the record straight. If they choose to not listen, that's their business. Step back, move on, don't be distracted. Paul chose to focus on the good. Well, you know what? At least they're proclaiming Christ, and because of this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be happy that they are at least proclaiming Jesus. At least in the end, when Christ comes back, they'll understand they were mistaken. That's in God's hands. I will rejoice. Maybe this person that you find criticizing you at work, maybe an extended family member. God, what do I do about this? At every family reunion. This is nonsense. You know what? Maybe they're a Christian. If they are, praise God that they're saved. Maybe they're evangelizing. Praise God that others are being saved. Maybe they're your boss, and at least he hasn't fired you. There's something to praise God about, right? So what did Paul not do? He did not attack. I want to take just a moment right now, and I want to demonstrate this with an illustration. All of you know This being a ball will bounce back to me unless there's no air and it's not bouncy at all. It is. You can see that. What happens, though, when I throw this ball down and don't catch it? The bounce gets lower and lower and lower. This is a dynamic within physics. Actually, the principle I'm going to teach you is the exact opposite. So pay attention because what I share with you, the principle, is going to be the exact opposite. There's something called the conservation of energy, and that means the energy cannot be created or destroyed. However, when I throw this ball down, it bounces lower and lower. It seems like it's losing energy. The ball is losing energy only because it's transferring energy to the ground. Do you follow that? That's the principle of the conservation of energy. It's not being lost. It's being transferred from the ball to the ground, so the ball bounces lower and lower. Now, let me explain to you not the dynamics of physics, but now the dynamics of relationships. Here is the unique thing about relationships in which it's opposite this principle. Because in relationships, when someone throws out a zinger to you, the ball many times bounces higher. There is a transfer, not of energy, but of hurt to you, And what do you do with that hurt? If you're not careful, you will seek to defend yourself and you will send the volley, the verbal volley, back to them that's even harsher. You respond not with equal energy, but with more, more force. That's the dynamic in relationships. In physics, I drop the ball, it gets lower and lower. In the dynamics of relationships, I drop the ball 
and it gets higher and higher and higher, and back and forth this volley goes. And my question is, how do you stop it before it puts a hole in your roof? Because it will eventually. Do you understand the analogy there in the roof? It's going to do that to you. How do you prevent that? You have to grab the ball. You have to stop it. Where the enemy has found a wound in you, he wants to uncover it, he will seek to focus on that hurt and exploit it. That's what he's doing here. That's why the volley goes back and forth and the ball bounces higher and higher. In this principle, there is only one thing to do, and that is, after you've shared truth, leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Church, say that with me. Leave it. Grab the ball. Don't let it bounce any higher. That's what Paul did. He refused to respond to his accusers. Not because they were right. I'm sure he, he weighed what they said. But he realized their heart is wrong. It's attacking. It's bitter. He puts the term selfish Ambition. Do you know what that is? Selfish ambition. At least for Paul's situation here, that's what he discovered. Selfish ambition is let me put you down so I can be raised higher. That's evil. That's not right. It's not a biblical principle. Philippians chapter 2, the next chapter, he actually addresses selfish ambition. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who actually was God, humbled himself, emptied himself, technically, and became man. He didn't set his deity completely aside. He was still God, but he emptied himself of everything that was rightfully his as God. And he took on the limitations and he humbled himself even to the point of death. Death on a cross. And that's how Jesus' attitude was. And Paul decided to let self die. To set aside what may be rightfully his, to defend himself and said, nope. I'm not going to fight on the road. I'm going to take the hard road. I'm going to take the hard road. Proverbs 26, could you go there with me? Proverbs 26 has been an enigma to many in the body of Christ. Uh, some people, when they come across it, come to me and say, Pastor, I don't get this. There is a contradiction here, and it doesn't make sense to me. And the contradiction seems so clear because in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. And then the very next verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Now, do you see the apparent contradiction here? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then he immediately follows it with, oh, by the way, answer a fool according to his folly. What is up with that? Solomon, did you, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Did, you, did, someone, did your mama drop you too many times when you were young? I mean, what, what's going on here? Because this does not make sense. Let me just walk you through this briefly, and you'll see it. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or answering a fool, whether you don't or not, has two different meanings here. We discover that by the second portion of each verse. You'll be like him yourself or he will be wise in his own eyes. So what is Solomon getting at here? In the first, he's saying don't answer him in the foolish, wicked way he talks to you. 
Don't be like him. Don't respond with pride or anger, arrogance. Don't look down on people with your response. Don't use your words to hurt. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, his wicked way. However, you're going to find yourself, there's a time in which you do answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, answer his foolish talk. Defend truth so he doesn't think his error is truth. So there is a place in which we answer the fool, but we just don't answer them in the same way they answer. They speak to us. The first one has to do with character. The second one has to do with truth. <laughs> However, there are rare times, and this is the hard part of the sermon, there are rare times in which Scripture addresses the next stage. So far, we've realized that we're not to retaliate with mean words or actions. We forgive. We don't play the fool. We're not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Number two, we actually seek their good. We pray for them. As I said, we overcome evil with good. <clears throat> I've already mentioned that we mine for gold. We look for truth so that we can grow. I've already talked about confronting the sin, but to what degree, we ask. Right now, we come to several Proverbs. I'm going to share only two, and this is the hard part. At some point, Scripture gives, helps us find a way. And in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19, and I'm going to quote from the NASB, it says, he who goes about as a slanderer, reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. There comes a point in which someone has been gossiping about you and you choose in love. See, that's where we miss it because it doesn't sound loving. But in love, we choose not to associate with them anymore. That's the hard part. Many people don't understand this principle. I'm, I would never encourage you to be a doormat to people's false accusations, to people's gossip and slander. There are times in which we bear it, but there is wisdom. And Proverbs says, when you've addressed it, when, when it just continues on, and Francis Frangipane, you hear it in his letter, he, okay, I'm just not going to associate with that person. Now, in the body of Christ, with there being leadership in the body, we can address that. But what happens when it's outside the church? What happens when it's a family member, a distant relative, that every time he wants to come visit, there's just poison? There, you know, he talks to your children about you. At some point, should he choose not to change, you say, you know what, I would love to have you in our home, but you've made a choice here. I'm under obligation. I gotta, I gotta protect my family. I can't have you back. Some of you maybe have had to make a choice like that's a hard one, isn't it? You want their heart to change, but it refuses to change. Proverbs 22, 24. Another one. It says this: Proverbs 22:24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. 
Again, church, there comes a point in which someone is so filled with anger or hurt. Many times bitterness is the root there, and they can't see it. And you happen to be the one. Though you're being loving, you tend to bump up against them, and they're so ang- they get angry. And I shared a story with you, an illustration. Some years ago, when I, <clears throat> in doing my paint touch-up business, I was at a dealership, <clears throat> and this trailer that I carted behind my, van- my uh, station wagon had a, uh, a front that lifted up with braces that held it up, and I would do my work under there and then do work on the cars. And I remember seeing this ant. It was probably about three feet long. That's, that's the way it seemed anyway. Just this huge, huge uh, carpenter ant. Okay, maybe an inch. And it was crawling, cr- and I wanted to get rid of it, so I swatted at it like this. And as I was swatting at it, I'm thinking, what are you doing, Michael? But I couldn't stop myself. And as I swatted it off on the wood, a huge splinter went right through my finger. It came out on the other side. Of course, blood everywhere. I go inside. I'm thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? Do I have to go to the emergency room? It was right through the finger. And I said, I am, I am not going to do that. And so I had to do my best to pull it out from both sides. And there was a little bit still left inside. And I had to let it sit there. When I got home, I'm, you know, doing the the mommy care type stuff and soaking it in, what hydrogen peroxide and anything I could think of to disinfect it, it did get swollen. Within two months, it popped out the other side. I pulled it out and it was fine. But for those two months, you just had to accidentally bump up against me. Oh, please be careful. (laughs) Even when it was my fault. (laughs) Please don't bump me. And there are going to be people in your life who have infections, wounds, and you're going to bump up against them. And sometimes it's not your fault at all. And they're going to say, how could you do that? Can't you be more careful? And anger will arise and there's bitterness. And that bitterness was not put there by you. And I would venture to say it wasn't put there by someone else, but it was actually some stuff, many things that happened over their lifetime that they have failed to deal with properly. And it is turned into a festering wound. And at that moment, it feels like it's your fault when it's not. And you encounter people. And they're in the body of Christ. And when they get hurt, they just erupt and hurt you. And they're hot-tempered. They're angry. You seek to appeal to them, and you walk away with a deeper wound. Don't fight on the road. Don't take the easy road, but don't fight on the road. Take the hard road. Extend a gentle correction. But if they do not listen to you, at least within a church, you can get someone, a leader, to be able to help you walk through it. I've been in situations in which I've tried to do that, and this person just absolutely refuses to see it. They cannot see it. It hurts my heart. It's not even about me. I'm as a pastor just trying to help them. And my wife has been in those situations. No, we're wrong, apparently. And the person they hurt, they're wrong. And everyone's wrong, but they're right. And they reject godly counsel. They reject scripture. And they're defensive. And they're hurtful because of the wound that has not healed. Now, maybe this morning... That's you. That's you with the hurt finger. 
And God is saying to you, let me heal your hurt. When people bump up against you, zip it. Allow Christ to minister love and strength to you and do not respond in anger. Moms and dads, husbands and wives, sometimes we do this. Our spouse bumps up against our wounded finger and it is a barrage of assault. It is that that Christ is seeking to heal and to remove from your life so that you're a man or a woman of peace. But the bat, there has to be a battle first. There has to be a slaying of self. There has to be a crucifying of that inside of you that wants to lash out and say, no, this is what's right. You're wrong and I'm right. Die to that. You've already attempted to set the record straight. And at that point then, you may have to distance yourself. That's the hardest point. When it comes to marriages, when it comes to marriages, and you step into a situation, and it's starting to get heated, and it's going downhill fast, like a train off tracks, like a, out of control, I'm not saying pack your bags and leave. I counsel you, look, right then and there, that's the worst time to try and solve this problem. If you're angry, it is so hard to hear the voice of the Spirit, church. You need to allow your soul to come under the work of the Spirit to be able to hear Him in the midst of that pain. And you may need to just say, I need a timeout right now. Just give me 15 minutes because I'm getting angry and this isn't working. Give me a few minutes. Let God deal with my heart. Could you be enough, humble enough to even say that to your spouse? Let God deal with my heart right now. Be careful about saying that to your spouse. You know, I think you need a break and God just needs to deal with your heart. Yeah, that may not work too well. It might be better to just say, you know what, I think we are getting angry, even though you think it's just them. We are getting angry. Let's just take a few minutes and let's just ask God to deal with this situation and deal with our hearts. And in 15 minutes, if it doesn't work, maybe an hour. But don't just say to the spouse, you know what, I'm tired of this and I'm leaving. Don't do that. Because they're going to chase you. They're going to want this fixed. Especially, excuse me, wives, you are very relationally oriented. Husbands, don't get out of the room like that. They need to know, are you going to help fix this problem? They will want to know if you're just giving up. Assure them you are not. Assure them that your goal is peace. You just can't fix it right now. Give me a few minutes. Well, how much is a few minutes? Like 10 days? No, just a few minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And if I need more, I'll, I'll let you know. But I, I need God to get a hold of my heart right now. And can you be humble enough to even say that? Outside of your home, you may not be able to do that. And you may have to go down this road. Do not associate with a gossip. Do not associate with a slanderer. Do not associate with a hot-tempered person. That's hard. That's hard. The last thing that I want us to look at 
is then asking this question. We've got to ask this church. We've got to ask this question, church, and that is, what is God teaching me through this? Maybe he's saying, <clears throat> as remember Francis, let me preface this, Francis Frangipane went through this for three years. God, deliver me from my enemy. I can't stop the talk. It constantly is happening outside my church and even inside, and I cannot stop it. He found himself wasting so much time defending him. Have you ever found yourself in that way? Just wasting so much time defending yourself? Sometimes no answer is the best answer. And so Francis Frangipane just said, God would not deliver him of his enemy, this is what I read, until God dealt with that in him. This need to defend himself over and over and over. That's what he had to guide to. Many times that comes from insecurities. We have to crucify Francis had to crucify a man-pleasing attitude. He had to be more secure in Christ's love. Not distracted, but staying the course. Gossip, gossip, blah, blah, blah. Nope, I'm focused on Christ, and I'm focused on his kingdom, and you do not pay attention to it. And some of you, you just got to, you have to tune it out. That is so hard. I'm asking you to do something, but I tell you what, Christ can help you do it. Focus on him. Focus on on his love. Focus on his purpose for your life and don't get distracted and caught up. Stop fighting on the road. And so here is my challenge to us. Maybe God is wanting to help us be less defensive. Maybe he's trying to help us be less angry and more filled with love. Remember Galatians 5.15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will destroy one another i.e., stop it. Stop it. Maybe he's wanting you to be more protective of your family. Maybe it's happening against your child and you need to say, you know what, enough is enough. We're done here. And you need to take some drastic action. I've been there. That's hard. Maybe he's wanting to teach you to be more protective. Or, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Maybe he's wanting you to learn to not read the newspaper. Some of you need to stop reading the newspaper. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. If you listen to ESPN or any Fox or any, any sports channels or anything, and they're interviewing a high-profile quarterback, for example, and he had a bad game, did the best he could, but he had a bad game, he will eventually, the, the, the interviewer will say, well, did you read in the newspaper? And his response is, no, my coach has told me not to read the newspaper. Because the newspaper critic, the sports critics will chew you up and spit you out. It's their job to analyze, and many times they are so critical, even though Tom Brady doesn't read the newspaper, church. He's like the best quarterback who has ever lived. Though we could recall two weeks ago in which Nick Folt, but I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Mm. I want to say something. Anyway, Tom Brady doesn't read the newspaper because he has bad games too. And just for the record, Super Bowl Sunday, he did not have a bad game. I'm not going to go there. And, and he, but he didn't read the newspaper because Tom Brady has bad days sometimes. And, and the critics are just going to chew him up. You know, he lost the game for them. Well, that's not true. 
And if he reads the newspaper, it's going to spoil his attitude, and it's going to undermine his confidence. It's going to feel like attacking. And I'm just wanting to tell you, church, stop reading the newspaper. Now, you understand what I mean by that, of course. Stop reading the newspaper. Stop listening to the critics. Now, here, I'm about to now, I want to conclude this with this last point. Because all of this has found its home in some of your hearts, but on this last point, it will find its home in every heart. And I want you to turn right now with me to Revelation chapter 13. This is the section about the beast that comes out of the sea. And no, I'm not going to jump into eschatology right now. I'm not going to do that. Revelation 13, the beast arises he receives the power and authority and throne of the dragon who is representative of the devil. And it says here in verse 6, he opened his mouth. Are you there with me? Revelation 13, 6. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. The beast receives his authority from Satan, and I'm not going to get into that, but I'm just going to simply say this. Satan's goal is to undermine God to you. Satan's goal is to slander and gossip and falsely accuse God to you. And I'm going to tell you, stop fighting on the road. Take the high road. Stop listening to him. Don't read the newspaper. Because all his goal is, is to undermine your relationship with God. In the hard times of your life, what do you hear? God, do you really love me? Are you really concerned about what I'm going through right now? God, for three years I've prayed that you would remove these enemies and that you would vindicate me. And yet here they are as mean and nasty and ornery as ever. And where are you? And I am a man of God. I am seeking, Francis says, to proclaim Christ. And at every turn, God, please just take care of this. God, where are you? Don't, don't you see what I'm going through? God, are you really good? And God begins, Satan begins to slander God to you. Don't read the newspaper. Focus on truth. Focus on what is right. Focus on truly who God is. That's why we sing and worship. Because during your week, guaranteed all of us, including myself, go through hard times. Questions start arising. We are out in the world and we are being bombarded with lies, 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 and half-truths. Oh, that's a hard one. Because Satan will tell you one side without sharing with you the other. People will do that too. And it's slander against God. Is it not true that God will protect you? Yes. Yes, he will. Then why isn't he right now? Oh. Um, give me a minute. Silence the accuser of the brothers, the accuser of God. 
In chapter 12, he's called the accuser of the brothers. And in this chapter, he is the accuser of God. Quiet his voice. Don't let him speak. Don't believe his lies. Church, God is infinitely good. Infinitely good. We were going through Psalm 91, whole chapter, wholesome, awesome psalm that we went through as a church, both groups. And, and we looked at the implications of this. And one of those things in our group that, that was shared is we were talking about God protecting us. There are times, though, in which it feels like God is not. A thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. What happens when it does come near you? God, are you a liar? And here all, here's all I have to say. That is his general principle. That is his promise that he will do. And if he allows the enemy in that back door, in this situation, it is for one reason and one reason only, for him to fulfill his absolute best purpose in your life. This has to happen. It has to happen. It is not that God is disregarding you or that he has forgotten you. Is that this way through pain is the most necessary way to maximize the glory of God in your life. That's hard. The enemy will put a twist on that in your life. He will make you hear the one side of the story without understanding the truth on the other side. But God promises all things will work together for my good. It's a promise. And I stand on that. Church, stand on it. Can you stand with me? I thought it was interesting that Jenny Rose, uh, unprompted, shared my sermon in about two minutes uh, before I preached. God is has spoken to some of your hearts right now. I believe this as we dim the light flame. Can you allow him to just take that one step further and show you what do you do now? How do you walk this out in your life? Because the hard road, church, is hard. We can be resistant it is a call to love that sometimes doesn't feel loving, but it is necessary. Let God deal with this battle in your soul today. Father, you are good. You are ever loving. Your promises never fail. You are faithful. You will always be with us and never leave us and when it feels as if you have it is only as that at that time that you carried us as that poem says and so I'm asking you God if the enemy would speak lies about you help us to not listen to him but to listen to the truth you are good and your love is unfailing. Always. And Father, I ask that as the words of others 
found their mark here in our hearts, God. Where we have been wounded. Show us what our high road needs to look like. Show us Jesus at that time, God. Show us to set down the weapons of warfare that the world says we should take up and to embrace the example of Christ's love. Deal with our hearts, God. Deal with our hurts, God. Deal with our anger. Show us how to walk in love as Christ did, as your word shows us. Show us how to take that high road, God. Father, whatever you are teaching us through this difficulty, we are saying, God, impress it deep in my heart. Deep in my heart, God. Don't ever let me forget it. And I certainly don't want to go through this again. But show me your way, God. And I believe that that way is the way everlasting. Crucify me. Jesus, I want to thank you that your love is so rich and so deep and so good. As we leave here today, God, I ask that your spirit will have spoken to our hearts so clearly and definitively, so encouragingly, that, Father, we will leave here changed because we have been in the presence of God. So, God, have your way. You are good. In Jesus' name.